0: Turn with me in your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3. I have to confess, uh, people ask me after a tithing sermon, you know, do you get any feedback? And when I came in, there was eight people here to start with. I thought that was probably the feedback I was looking for. (laughs) Just teasing. Uh, You know, the book of Malachi has been heavy. There's been uh, a lot to it. It's it's even surprised me. I have read it, and I've actually taught through it in a Sunday school class when I was in seminary. And every time I study it, there's just more and more there as far as uh, the personal application, how I fit, uh, what Malachi is warning against, and how it really speaks to us today as the church. And this is written to the church in the Old Testament, but it's no less relevant for us today. In fact, what we have here is a common problem. That is, we forget God's grace. We forget why we are accepted in him. It's the work of Christ. It's God's own good pleasure that calls us to him. And when we forget that simple reality, that profound reality, all manner of things start happening in our spiritual lives. Sin is much uh, easier to fall into when we fall away from understanding God's love for us. In fact, things like lame worship, lame relationships, poor marriages, uh, you name the the ailments that were hitting the church in the Old Testament, they still hit us today. And they're usually related directly to our understanding of God's acceptance of us. Because when we grow out of that, then we start to look at God as this person who we, or this being who we cannot please, who we cannot meet his righteous standards. And we'd be right if that were really how God had set it up. And so it leads us down, really, I think, a path of despair. And that's where many in Malachi's day found themselves, as they were in this new land after being restored to the land. They should have been happy about where they were now in life, but instead they were just ask, asking why all the pagans are being so blessed and yet they are having things so hard. And two weeks ago, we came to this kind of prophetic climax where it was said by the prophet, I'm going to send my messenger. He's going to clean house. He's going to save for sure. The Messiah is going to save, but he's going to judge. He's going to cast light on all this darkness, the darkness of your hearts even. And I'm going to show light. I'm going to show my truth. And that day will come. And he looks forward to a day when the the nation of Israel would be judged in a way when Messiah comes, And things would be exposed. And repentance would have to happen on the part of those who are actually the faithful, those who are God's. Well, this week, we start looking at this return, the return that was spoken of in terms of the tithe, but now we're looking at the response that they have to Malachi's message. And I would ask you, before we begin to look at God's Word today in the 16th verse of the third chapter, down to the 18th verse, how do you respond to preaching? How do you respond to God's word preached? Really, that's what we learn here. We see what the response is on the part of God's people. How do you respond? How do I respond to God's word preached? Hear now God's word. Malachi 3, verses 16 through 18. Then, that is after all this message that Malachi has given, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this message, for it is for us today, the church, in this time and place. Pray, Lord, that you would give us a a way in which we might respond well to your word preached. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I know that there are many perspectives with which people take to church. It's been a while since I've been in your seat, but I was a layperson for quite some time uh, in my life and sat under a lot of preaching. In fact, in my days in college, we had exposure to really some of the country's greatest preachers. And We had this thing at, in Chicago called Founders Week, and literally they had this you know, the, the, the preach-a-thon is what we would call it because they would start from the morning, and there would be every possible radio person you could think of, and evangelicalism was there in Chicago for this week. And I feel very blessed to have been able to sit under such great preaching. In fact, I bought, in recent years, I've bought tapes uh, that, of sermons I heard when I was in college that I didn't listen real well to, that I realized were really profound. And as I got older, I started to look back and remember some of the things that uh, God's word spoke. Uh, and these preachers preached. And I bought the tapes, and I still listen to them from time to time. And if you ever go on a road trip with me, you'll be sure that there will be four tapes, and I'll make you listen to if we have more than an hour in the car time we go to Presbytery, I make the guys listen to him again. Because I think the word preached is the power God is using. It's foolishness because of those of us who are doing it, but it's the power unto God. He's the one that is chosen to use this foolish means of preaching to bring people to Christ, to change us, to cause us to repent. And it still has an effect on me today. In fact, I don't only look forward to when Pastor Nathan preaches just because I don't have to study for a sermon that week because, believe it or not, there are other things I have to study for. It's actually just the the refreshing nature of sitting under the word preached that I enjoy on those occasions. But I know that there are different approaches people have when they come to church. There are things going on in your life that may overwhelm you to where you're just not listening to the sermon or, or something I'm saying is not resonating with you or there's something that's not connecting with you. I understand all of those human realities. In fact, I, I get a kick out of reading about some people's reaction to their preachers. And there's a, there's a college professor who wrote about his early ministry. He's preaching in a Los Angeles church. He thought he'd done very well. And at the end, he was greeting people as they left the sanctuary. And the remarks about his preaching were mostly complimentary. They mostly are. Uh, the ones that aren't usually don't say anything to you, at least not many of them. That is until a little old man comment, commented to him, You preach too long. And then he walked by professor was wasn't really phased by the remark It was just one remark in many especially in light of all these positive comments then the old man got back in the line and came by again and said you didn't preach loud enough and he walked by he thought well this is interesting two negative comments he got back in line that's unusual then he came back through again the third time he said you used too many big words and he walked off now he was really bothered that this little man kept coming through this line so he went to one of the deacons who was standing by, and he said, "Do you see the little old man over there? Who is he?" Oh, he said, "Don't pay attention to him." The deacon said, "All he does is go around and repeat everything he hears." <laughs> That's one perception. That's one way people look at preaching Sunday morning. In fact, you know what people have for lunch often on Sunday? Roast preacher. Heard that one? After a church service a Sunday morning, a young boy suddenly announced to his mother, Mom, I've decided to become a pastor when I grow up. I want to be a minister. And she said, Well, that's fine with us, but what makes you say that? Well, I have to go to church on Sunday anyways, and I figure it'd be more fun to stand up and yell than sit down and listen. That's one perception of what preaching is, what teaching that comes from the pulpit is. But I would ask us to think differently, that God's word demands a response from his people. How should we then respond to the word preached? Put aside all these Other matters that come into our minds are the ways we we have come to look and evaluate preaching. Rather, see what it is in God's word that's supposed to be coming forth, his word preached, and what response it calls us to. Look at the passage with me today, and I think we will see the response we ought to have. Responding well, verse 16, Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. So remember, then, this word ties back all that has come in the first three chapters now. We're at the end of the third chapter, so essentially three chapters full of instruction from Malachi, and after it's done, uh, kind of hitting this, this pinnacle and then this practical application of stop robbing me, just on a basic level stop robbing me with the tithe, then in response to these things, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Now understand, before we get into the lessons that are learned, that a prophetical book is not like a New Testament epistle. In other words, we have what the people's response is here for us. In other words, Malachi's ministry was a prophetic ministry. He had preached for years and probably preached the same message over and over and over again. The same with Isaiah, the same with Joel, the same with Obadiah. They're prophetic ministries they have. The books that bear their names is the sum total of what the prophetic ministry is. It's what was put to writing. Most of their ministry was audible, that is, oral. They spoke it, they preached it, and then wrote it, to capture what their prophetic message was, but the beauty of it is is we also can have the response of the people there listed in it. And Malachi gives us this. There's a response. His prophetic message is what we've been studying for the last several weeks. And it's been going on for years, not just a seven-week sermon series. Malachi, for years, has been preaching these things. And he puts it, it's codified, if you will, in his book, according to the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, And he has the book of Malachi, and in it we even have the response. And the response is in verse 16. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. Malachi had been ministering and preaching, and now those who were in the nation of Israel who feared the Lord, those who were truly God's people, because ethnicity does not equal election or Christianity. It just is the host for those who believe. And those who really believed spoke with one another when they heard this message. That is, they started talking with one another about the relevance of this message, why it was important. This is God's word, people. Do you see this? And the brethren talked together about what they heard. They mulled over the message because they accepted it. They talked about the relevance of it to them in their place at that time. The second part of verse 16, The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before them of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So there's an acknowledgment on the part of God that there is a righteous response going on to the word preached. It doesn't say everybody listened, does it? it doesn't say everybody repented. It doesn't even give us an idea of the percentages. But God noticed a, at least a remnant who responded righteously to the preaching of the word. Now what does it mean to say that there's a book of remembrance written? Now it could be a literal recording of those who wanted to rededicate themselves unto God in other words, the people literally recorded before their Lord those who all agreed because the nation was in such rebellion we want to sort of like a declaration of independence, a big statement that this we we want to go back to the Lord we want to go we want to have covenant renewal here today it could be that literal uh, way of looking at it, but it's more likely an expression in human terms of God's acceptance of their repentance and it's using a term that they would be Knowledgeable love. You remember in Esther when the king uh, wanted to have read all the things that were going on in his kingdom, and he brought his. The, and that's when he realized that Mordecai the good guard had actually saved his life. He had the annals written to read read to him. Kings would often have things listed, books of remembrance written. So this is a reference to the Persian use of this book of remembrance. And so God Himself, if you will, has this book of remembrance. It's not that He forgets; it's for us to understand what it means. But it's this book of remembrance. Those that he knows are his and have responded well to his preaching, to his word, have accepted it as the word of God. He remembers them. Those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It's the root of true religion. Those were his people. Those, his people who responded and esteemed his name. That is, his people... Fear him and they desire his glory. They want his name lifted up. They want everybody to esteem his name. Hey, when you're talking about my God, be careful, is what they're saying. I want his name to be esteemed. He needs to be held in high respect. And his people desire that for him. But look at verse 17 then. What does God say? They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasure possession, this is important to look at this language. In the day when I make up my treasure possession, all sorts of interpretations. The way I think it's best understood is the day that the Jewish nation will receive its ultimate judgment. And when I make up, it doesn't say take up, it says make up in the language, my treasure possession. That is when I distinguish uh, in, this, in, in the fulfillment of this covenant, when my messenger of the covenant comes. And by the way, chapter 4, we'll look at more closely what this will be like when, the, when Christ comes. When I make up my treasure possession. They shall be mine. That is, when judgment is delivered on Israel, on the nation of Israel, those who are really mine in that nation will be taken up and made part of my treasured possession, which we find from New Testament writing as the church, is the, is, is the calling of the church to himself. My take is this is looking forward to that final judgment Israel will receive when the temple is destroyed in 70 A.D. Now that's a long way away for them, so what does it mean for them? It just simply is saying that I will... Be faithful to those who are faithful to me. You can count on it regardless of what culture is doing around you, regardless of what your own nation is doing. Your response, your righteous response to my word is endearing myself to you. I will spare them. That is, as judgment comes and the messenger of the covenant comes, you will not be judged because you will be mine. I'll make up my treasured possession. Look at verse 18. Then once more, I uh, like the days of old. And there were days of old in, Israel, in Israel's history where there was a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Where the nations could look at Joshua coming and say, these are God's people. Now, were they perfectly righteous? No, we see the history. But there's these points of distinction in redemptive history where it was clear who God's people were and who they were not. Once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. In other words, right now you can't see the distinction. You look just like the rest of the world, is what he's saying to the people of Malachi's day. But there will be a time when this distinction between the righteous and the wicked will be clear. Between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve. Through the church you will once more see a distinction between the righteous and the wicked. I think he's looking forward to the day where Christ fulfills his work on the cross and calls unto himself his church. And his church establishes in a way that starts to make a distinction again between those who are from without and those who are within. And this day will continue on until the final judgment that will someday come. Now that's The text, those are the verses. But let's look at our response. How do we respond well, then, to God's word? Because God's word does demand a response. First of all, I would submit to you that we are to come prepared to hear a message from God. And I believe that's what we have here. Even in a short reference in verse 16, then those who feared the Lord, then referring back to the message. There were some in that group who were there ready for the message of the word of God. They were there. They've been living in the, in the midst of a sinful nation. We're probably contributing themselves. It's not as though they're innocent. But their hearts were ready for the word of God to come. When he sends his messenger, that is Malachi, they hear it. They're ready. They come ready. And I'd say to us, the first thing, when you come Sunday morning, when you go to your Sunday school class, when you sit in a Bible study, whatever it is where the word of God is preached or taught, we ought to come ready to hear a message from God. And I know that there's a huge roadblock to it, and the roadblock is me. In other words, We focus often too much on the messenger and not enough on the message. I'm not at all trying to uh, give myself an excuse or any other preacher an excuse because we have our responsibility without question. But there is sometimes too much focus on the person rather than the message, the messenger rather than the message. And that works both ways. Sometimes whole churches are built up around a personality, and they're really loyal to the person rather than the passage. On the other hand, there could be a situation where people, well, the, where the preacher's poor or is not doing a good job week to week. And that's a whole other issue that needs to be taken care of. But that so clouds us that we cannot hear what the word of God is because he can use a donkey to speak to someone. Certainly, he can even use me. So even I always have something, as long as it's the word of God, that's the key, that you can glean because it's a message from God. You know... Jonathan Edwards. We speak of him in such high esteem, and I love his writings. But from all that I've read about him, today he would be considered a boring preacher. He preached for hours on end. He carried a full manuscript into his pulpit. And by the way, I'm archaic just because I have an outline, and I stay in the pulpit. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, I can't imagine what he'd be considered, because he was short. He couldn't see very well, and he didn't speak very loud, and they didn't have microphones. So he had this... He'd have this full manuscript handwritten out like this, and he would literally stand like this and very rarely look up. But it's interesting to note, you probably all are aware of Jonathan Edwards, any American Presbyterian probably is, in his sermon, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, was delivered with no more fire than what I just described. But the difference was, or the factor was, if you will, For three days, Edwards, before he had preached the sermon, had not eaten a mouthful of food. For three nights, he had not closed his eyes and sleep. Over and over again, he was heard to pray, O Lord, give me New England, give me New England. When he arose from his knees and made his way to the pulpit that Sunday, he looked as if he had been gazing straight into the face of God. Even before he began to speak, tremendous conviction fell upon the audience. I know we're in a TV era and it's hard to capture that kind of piety once more among the people or the pastor. But the message is clear. It's a message from God. And the preacher has his part to play, no question. But we all, you all, have your part to play as well. Come ready to hear a message from God. Not one from Tony, from Nathan, from one of the elders, from your Sundays, from God. Weigh it according to the word of God. And I assure you that I have accountability that doesn't allow me to stray far from this without having that. And I treasure that. But come ready to hear a message from God. Come humble before the Lord, knowing you need the food of his word. Forgive the preacher for his humanity, whether it be his poor organization, his poor wording, his misspeaking, his poor explanations, even his arrogance at times. He's a sinner. And come ready to hear a message from God. Malachi's audience contained those who feared the Lord. And that maturity allowed them to look for that message. Malachi was not perfect, I'm sure of that. But they are able to see that this is a message from God. We have to come at it with that perspective. But secondly, I would say, very importantly, we have to fellowship with each other. This is important, and I am saying that as, as a means to apply God's word. I don't mean just to have a, have potluck dinners. That's not why we fellowship. Doesn't mean that fellowship means joining and sharing in one another's lives. And look at the text in verse 16. Then those who feared the Lord, what do they do? They then spoke with one another. So this implies that your life will be more involved with each other than just sitting here. Uh, You cannot speak with each other except you have opportunity to be together. And so whatever those opportunities are, and we strive to present those opportunities, take advantage of them and speak about the word of God and how it applies to your life particularly. I have no interest in, in just espousing theological truth after theological truth or doctrinal reality after doctrinal reality without any living it out among our people. That is, what was said? How does this particularly apply to me? Like today, you could go home and say, what has been our perspective as we have come to church on Sunday or we have listened to sermons? Have we come ready for a message from God or have we come trying to figure out how many times Tony misspeaks or how many times this or that flaw happens? or What is our perspective when we come to the message, the word of God? Speaking with one another as families and then also as a congregation, about the Word of God as it's being taught. I love to hear responses, and I hear a lot of great ones about our Sunday school classes that we've been having. But my wife in particular, she goes to one of the Sunday school classes, and she comes and says, this has just been great. And then she tells me what lesson it is she learned. My sons will tell me their lessons in Sunday school. What did you learn? What happened? Why did it happen? Why do you suppose God did this? What is the message? What is the lesson for us? And we interact, we talk about those things that really matter. That's the Word of God and how it is totally relevant to our lives. And sometimes you'll read a passage, how does this apply, apply to me today? We'll talk about it. Well, how does this? Maybe someone has a perspective. Well, I think this is the way And then we talk and we speak with one another. And God hears, God sees. He sees that we care about his word, even where we don't always understand it. We come together in fellowship with one another as a means of applying God's word to real life, just as they did in these days. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written. You know, in the New Testament, I just want to refer to a couple passages. You need not turn there, but listen to them. I think you'll be familiar with them. In Acts 2, when the, the newly forming church was burgeoning, the passage in Acts 2 42 says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship. You see, the teaching and fellowship go together. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayers. So there was the teaching of the apostles going on, but it was combined with the fellowship of the community. And I'm convinced this is the way the word of God is lived out. Because we live it out with each other, and we bump up against each other. We we rub each other the wrong way sometimes as we get close. But we learn how to live according to God's word. And that gives us then credibility, or that gives us a, a strength that allows us to proclaim this message to a wider audience, not just to ourselves. Hebrews three verses twelve and thirteen says, "Take care, brothers, lest there be any of you, uh, in any of you, evil, um, or an unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, every day. It says, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by deceitfulness of sin. It implies ongoing connection and relationship with one another. And of course, Hebrews ten, you are all familiar with this passage. And let us consider how to stir one uh, one another up uh, to love and good works." not neglecting to meet together as it is the habit of some but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day the day drawing near what is true and what to do that's what's important that's what preaching is about that's the point i would like to submit to you also that we should remember that the point of preaching or the message we're hearing is god's glory uh it's it's his glory that's the chief end of our response to his word in other words, as we respond in obedience, God receives glory, and others are drawn to the glory of God, not our glory, but the glory of God and This is a huge difference with what most you get most the explanation of preaching you get today. most of it is i 'll give you seven lessons on how to make your marriage better and the point is is that you walk out and the Bible speaks to this don't don 't misunderstand me. it can help us with our marriages but what 's the point of good marriages? The glory of God, not our happiness uh, the glory of God or Six lessons on how to do this or do that. And it all sounds so relevant. But in the end of the day, we keep coming back for more because the food is not satisfying because the real desire placed in us as believers, created in the image of God, is the glory of God. And so if we're constantly looking for preaching to somehow make us happy or make us feel better about our lives or be more skilled at this or skilled at that, we're missing the bigger picture. It's for the glory of God that we would change, that we'd be obedient. Look at verse 16 once more. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and what? Wanted happier lives or wanted a smoother road? No, it feared the Lord and esteemed his name. So there was a concern for his his reputation that if they would hear, if God would hear and he would change them, then the nations would esteem his name too. So it's God's glory. We glorify God through obedience. We then enjoy God because joy does come through obedience also. Our confession is so good at our our shorter catechism. What is man's chief end? Man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. How do we glorify God? Obedience to his word. How do we enjoy him? Obedience to his word. It's about the glory of God. Let us come each Sunday with that in mind. Now, I understand that this is not the mindset today. It's very difficult. And a lot of it's because of poor preaching. Not at all saying that the preacher's off the hook here. There's a survey very recently made where 4,000 laymen in 114 evangelical churches across the U.S. where they were asked, do you feel the preaching on Sunday relates to what's going on in your life on Monday? Over 83% saw virtually no connection between what they heard on Sunday morning and what they faced on Monday morning. Now I understand some of this is the, the seeming irrelevance is because of the preacher. But no doubt, More and more, it's because of a misguided idea that preaching of the Word of God is to make my life easier or happier rather than to change me so that I might glorify God. It's a tall order because I know we all want things to help us get through whatever uh, anxiety we have, and the Word of God will provide that. But our perspective has to be so that glory comes to God. Remember that God's glory is the chief end of our response to his word. Also, I would submit to you that we should understand our position as a son or daughter of God. And this is so crucial. So crucial that we understand that we are children receiving instruction from our father. We're not slaves, in this sense, receiving orders from our master. And if we mess up, he's going to throw us out or sell us off or kill us. We're children. He knows we're not going to do this perfectly. He knows we're sons and daughters. And none of us here would cast our children out when they mess up. But we know because they're our children, they repent, they come back, and we go at it again. We, we have another run at it, so to speak. And it's a child-parent relationship that's a forgiving relationship. It's a secure relationship. Yes, the parent places certain demands, but it's all couched in the love that they have, the unconditional love they have for their child. Understand your position as a son or daughter. You only have to look at verse 17 to see this. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. In the day when I make up my treasure possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. In other words, I know my son is not going to be perfect. I was not a perfect son. But I spare him because he's my son. Because I love him. He's mine. He's united unto me in a way that's unlike any other. And you are united to God in a way that's unlike any other union. It's union with Christ. And so when he looks upon you, when he has his word come to you through preaching, He's not looking at you like saying, if you don't do this, I'm going to stop loving you. Like last week, if you don't tithe, you're somehow less of a Christian. Or if you don't do this perfectly, you're somehow not my child. He never says that. God never accuses his children. The only accuser is Satan, who's the accuser of the brethren. God does not do this. Now that should compel us unto further obedience if we properly respond. We don't want to displease our father. We know we're going to mess up. But we come at the word of God preached, hearing what God's message is for us so that we might change so as to bring glory to our Father. And we know that when we mess up in doing that, he doesn't stop being our Father. He still loves us. He still upholds us. He holds us to it, and he brings conviction into our lives. It doesn't feel good, but it draws us to obedience, but ultimately brings him glory. So understand your position as a son or daughter. When you come to hear the message preached, you are a child who is listening to the the father who has already given his son for you. So come, not defensively, come ready to hear the message your father has for you because he loves you and he desires your best. Yes, that will bring glory to God, but he desires to bring your life into its fullest possible purpose that he has for you. Finally, I would say the passage reveals to us something that is important for us, that we be mindful of the long view. I believe understanding the ultimate picture of things helps us with obedience today. When you're in the crowd and there's a a choice to be made, it's it's a choice between righteousness or unrighteousness, sometimes the thing that is most powerful is just knowing that by choosing the righteous thing that there's an eternal value to that. That right now I might be scorned for it, I might be ridiculed for it, but there's an eternal value, there's an eternal view. This is only for a moment. Even the ridicule may only be for a moment. And life is very fleeting, but eternity is forever. And I have an opportunity here uh, to stand up for this at this time. And God may choose to use this for eternal significance in the lives of those who are witnessing it, if not just mine mine alone. Look at verse 17 as we look to the future. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasure possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him then once more you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. There'll be a day, and this day I think is particular. It's looking at a time of judgment that will come on the nation. Whenever you read of the day of the Lord or the visiting of the Lord, it really has a full range of meaning, and has to do with this epoch in time, and I think we're, if you will, in that epoch since the time of Jesus, where he visits his people, and he comes and he distinguishes us from the world, and he calls us to be, be separate, be different. doesn't call us to be opposed to everything, but be, stand up and be different than the rest of the world. And I will use that distinction to draw men and women unto myself, and it will have eternal significance. So when you're tempted to give up on the walk or give up in uh, the journey that we are all on, remember the long view that he's working through you, the church, to bring people to himself over the long haul. The long view is important. I know we get bogged down in the now, the here and the now, but there is a value to thinking of eternity beyond the 70 years, if by reason of strength, 80 years we live. So much longer than that. And what we do now actually matters towards that end by his ordination. He's chosen to do it. Brothers and sisters, I bid us all to respond well to the preaching of the word of God. And remember that nobody ever outgrows the Word of God. The book, the, the Word of God widens and deepens with our years. And you can hear 15 more sermons on this same passage, and every time you'll be fed anew, because that's the nature of God's ever-living Word for His people, for His glory. Let us pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word preached. Lord, we're amazed that You use uh, the foolishness of preaching uh, to deliver your message, to change your people, to call sinners unto yourself. Lord, it's just one more evidence that uh, of this treasures in jars of clay, that it's not the vessel, but it's the treasure and the power behind it, the all-surpassing power that is from you and not from us. Lord, I pray that you would make us a people who are ready to hear a message from you each week, that we would go forth looking to live in obedience, knowing that joy will come, but it's through the obedience that brings glory to you. For we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.